As always, uh, let's sort of review where we were uh, Sunday morning. Uh, I know that you know some of you might not be able to be in that class, and so uh, we just always kind of like to review where we were. But we looked at uh, Jesus as he continuing his way to Jerusalem uh, for that uh, final week of his life. Uh, he's uh, making a stop here, and he's getting well. He's getting stopped by uh, individuals uh, that have. Uh, that have been wanting to ask questions. Of course, we saw last week the, the Pharisees uh, stopping him and asking him a question about marriage and divorce. And then uh, on Sunday morning, we noticed that uh, at first, uh, Jesus is, uh, you know, uh, people are bringing the children to Jesus. You, know, you remember this? And so uh, people are bringing children to Jesus and the disciples, uh, they are trying to stop this, right? And we kind of talked about how in that society at that time, uh, children weren't necessarily um, held in high regards. Uh, they, uh, as you know, we put children first place today. We, you know, we put them on a pedestal. But back then, uh, they weren't that way. And so the, the disciples saw children as a bother. You know, don't bother Jesus. Get away from him. But of course, uh, we're, we're told that Jesus was indignant, indignant about the disciples, uh, sort of irate that uh, they would try to stop the little children to come to him. You know, and uh, of course, Jesus, he, he puts his hands on them, he blesses them, and he, he makes that connection that uh, the kingdom of God is fit for uh, these children, right? And if we want to be uh, able to be in the kingdom of God one day, Jesus, again, makes that, that lesson that, you know, we need to be like these children. And again, we talked about uh, the, the many different attributes that a, ch- a child has uh, that is fit for the kingdom, uh, Again, uh, sinless and uh, teachable and um, humble and all of these different attributes that you know, Jesus was trying to get them to understand uh, that it's people like these that are going to uh, be fit for the kingdom of heaven, just like a child. And then we spent most of the time uh, Sunday morning talking about uh, the next section in Matthew 19, which was the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler. And of course... Uh, this is probably one of, uh, one of the more um, well-known passages uh, in the gospel accounts of an individual who, he's got all these great admirable qualities, right? He, he runs to Jesus. Uh, he wants to know how to inherit life, eternal life. Uh, he goes to the right source. Uh, he's someone who uh, kept the Ten Commandments. Uh, he followed the old law, uh, but yet uh, he wants to know what more must I do, and Jesus of course, tells them there's you know, that one thing you lack. Right? Go and sell all of your possessions and, and follow me. Right? That's uh, sort of the call that Jesus gave you know, the disciples, the apostles. You know, uh, come and follow me. And so he gives that, uh, that command there to the rich young ruler. But of course, uh, he doesn't follow Jesus, does he? He, um, he goes away grieved, the Bible says. Uh, he, he's saddened. Uh, because he owned much property. And so uh, he goes on his way, and we notice that Jesus didn't run after him and try to uh, you know, beg him and plead with him to come back, but he lets him go. And the disciples are astonished. Right? They, they are amazed at what's going on here. Uh, they, they ask that question, well, who can be saved? And, of course, because Jesus had given that other illustration about, you know, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And again, they're saying, well, who can be saved? And of course, Jesus ended that by saying, with God, all things 
are possible. And so uh, we just want to hear uh, at this time, we'll, we'll finish up chapter 19 and notice uh, one more thing that uh, Jesus has to uh, say, and then we'll jump into chapter 20, and we're going to notice that the two are connected. Really, uh, what, all the lesson today that we're talking about is going to be connected to what we talked about uh, Sunday morning with the rich young ruler. But uh, let's ask ourselves these questions. What is the reward for following Jesus? What is the reward for following Jesus? And again, we don't have to answer these, but these are just those questions that we want to think about as we go throughout this lesson. And are there any rewards that are present uh, in this world? Uh, is it just simply uh, getting to the goal, or are there other rewards as Christians, as, as disciples of Jesus? And also, what is the difference between the final reward for someone who begins to follow Christ maybe at a young age versus someone who starts later in life? Right. Okay, well, you're jumping to the conclusion there. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Randy just gave the answer to that question. What is the, the, the reward of um, someone who maybe has been a Christian their, uh, for the majority of their life versus someone who might have became a Christian much later in life? And so uh, that's going to be the impact of this parable uh, that he's going to teach us here in chapter 20. And so, again, let's not forget the context that we're in. Uh, he just gets to, this uh, gets done with studying uh, with the rich young ruler and his disciples. And uh, again, the man left sad, saddened and grieved. And again, the disciples could not believe that a rich man would have so much trouble getting to heaven. Uh, that he wouldn't forsake all to follow Jesus. Uh, but now the disciples have a question. In particular, Peter is going to raise a question as uh, he just notices this man walk away, uh, let, let's notice what Peter brings up here. Again, this is Peter, right? Peter's brash. He, he makes these statements uh, uh, all the time uh, we see throughout Scripture. So let's notice Matthew 19, starting in verse 27. It says, Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake, will receive many times as much, and will inherit eternal life. Uh, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Okay, so uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record uh, this event here, this, this, uh, this statement by uh, Peter, but we're going to stick to Matthew's account because it's a little bit, uh, it's got a little bit of extra that we want to uh, notice here uh, in his, his uh, version. And, uh, you know, what will there be for us, Peter says, right? They just see the rich young ruler uh, not able to uh, do what Jesus commanded of him to do, and he leaves. And Peter wants to know, well, what about us? You know, what, what are we going to get out of this? So we've forsaken all, and uh, we left, remember, we left our, our father, or J, excuse me, James and John would have said, you know, we left our father, we left his, the fishing business, and uh, we came and follow you. What's in it for us? And, uh, and so Jesus gives them an answer 
the first answer he gives is specifically towards the apostles, right? And this is that verse 28. It's, it's a little bit tough. You know, I had to sit through this uh, and read, uh, um, you know, multiple um, commentaries on this just because uh, <clears throat> it's sort of a tougher um, statement. Again, uh, Mark and Luke don't specifically say this, but Matthew does. But again, listen to what Jesus says to the 12 apostles. He says, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, uh, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so my translation says, in the, generation, in the regeneration. Uh, I think the ESV says, in the new world. Or in the, in the renewal of all things is another translation. And, you know, that's, it's a little um, ambiguous. Uh, the only other time that that word is in Scripture, uh, regeneration, is found in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, and it's in reference to uh, baptism. Uh, it's in reference to baptism, uh, being con- uh, our, the washing of regeneration, right? And so uh, this, specifically this verse here, 28, is referring to uh, the promise to the apostles, This isn't for all disciples at all times, but it's just simply for the 12 apostles. And he says, again, that uh, while the uh, the Son of Man is going to sit on his glorious throne, uh, the the apostles are going to have their own thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So, you know, what do you think that means? This regeneration... You know, when is this going to uh, take place? It's a little bit of a, again, since Matthew is the only one that records it, you know, we don't have uh, Mark and Luke to kind of help us understand what that means. But uh, there's a couple, uh, if you followed the curriculum, there's a couple of, uh, uh, you know, answers that it gives to that. It could be referring to uh, the future heavenly state. You know, when, when Jesus returns, uh, that uh, they are going to, you know, you know, either figuratively or literally sit on these uh, thrones and judge. But what it probably refers to, what it most likely refers to, is uh, the church age, right? Uh, the day of Pentecost going forward. And that's what we're in today. Uh, because uh, we notice that, again, it says that, uh, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Well, is Jesus reigning right now? Is he sitting on that throne? He is, he is isn't he? Uh, Acts chapter 1 lets us know that when he ascended to heaven, he ascended to the Father, and he's sitting at the right hand of God right now. And so uh, he's reigning. So what most likely Jesus here is referring to uh, when, he, when he's letting the apostles know that, hey, you know, you're going to be rewarded uh, is... Uh, you are going to be, um, you are going to be uh, sitting on these thrones. And again, this is you know this is figurative language, right? That uh, we know that the the apostles after you know after Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts chapter one, whose whose duty is it now to get you know get the inspired word to uh, the people? The apostles, right? And eventually, Paul is going to join that group as well as being a chosen instrument of Jesus. But it's the apostles, right? Peter and so forth. They're going to you know, spread 
And uh, you, of course, remember back in uh, Matthew chapter 16 where, you know, Jesus gives uh, the, the apostles that promise that you're going to, um, you know, bind things that have already been bound and you're going to loo- uh, loose things that have already been uh, loosed. You know, he's giving them the authority to, uh, you know, preach the gospel and to uh, write their inspired letters and to teach the churches. And so, really, that's probably what Jesus here is referring to when he's talking to the, the apostles here. Uh, this is your reward. You're going to be those who are going to, you know, sit on, sit on your, your, those thrones, uh, those 12 thrones. Um, you're providing the guidance. You're providing the, uh, the, the judging during the era, this era, um, whether it's uh, when they were alive and they were preaching the gospel throughout the world, or when their words were written down uh, through inspiration and recorded uh, for us. But verse 29 is what we want to notice here is, now here, here's a, um, here is a blessing for everyone who follows Jesus, not just the apostles, but all disciples. Again, he says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Right, that, is, uh, that is the promise, right? That uh, what's my reward? Well, it's eternal life, right? It's eternal life. That, that's the promise for following Jesus. And as we move into chapter 20, you know, Jesus is going to cement this, um, this idea of, you know, who, just who, uh, you know, heaven is for. So let's, let's move into chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 16, and let's notice this parable that he, uh, he has here. Uh, this is the parable of the laborers uh, in the vineyard. And we'll just go ahead and read these verses, and then we can uh, discuss. So uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard... And when he agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. Then those hired about the 11th hour came, each one receiving, or each one received a denarius. Uh, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who has borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. Okay, so again, this, uh, this parable that Jesus gives is in connection to 
uh, the story of the rich young ruler. And then, of course, Peter asking, you know, well, what about us? What are we going to get? Um, because, you know, Jesus here is laying out uh, what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. You know, he, again, he starts that off there in uh, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And again, what is the kingdom of heaven often in reference to in Scripture? The kingdom of heaven is often also um, used as the church, right? Uh, the, uh, the kingdom, the church. And so this is what the, this is what the church is going to look like. This is what it's going to be like, he says. Um, now, of course, a vineyard is something they would have been very familiar with, right? Uh, a lot of the parables that Jesus gives are uh, situations of things that they're very familiar with. So there's vineyards everywhere. They know what a vineyard is and what it requires. And we've got these different individuals uh, in this parable that represent something. So who does the landowner represent? God. Yeah. So we've got God who is the landowner. And, you know, it, this is sort of, uh, you know, pretty unique because uh, as we kind of as we've noticed uh, this landowner, uh, you know, he goes out early in the morning uh, and he goes and finds people for, uh, to work in his vineyard, right? And he keeps doing that. He keeps going out time after time to find people looking for work. Do bosses usually do that? No. They don't, do they? What, they? They usually hire who? A foreman or you know, an HR department or something like that to uh, look for laborers, to recruit laborers. But this is, this is the owner, Right? This is the owner of this vineyard, and he is personally involved. He's personally invested in this vineyard. Right? He, and so cares. That sh- he cares. Yeah, exactly. He, he cares. And we're going to see as he continues to go out uh, to look for people to work in his vineyard that he's going to go all the way up to you know, that last hour to find uh, individuals. And so there we have the, the landowner. Um, in this parable, there is mention of a foreman. Uh, I know that there are some who uh, believe this is in reference to Jesus. Uh, uh, some don't believe that, but uh, uh, we can just uh, you know take it for what it is. Um, so we have the we have the again the the landowner. We have the foreman. Uh, we have the vineyard, right? The vineyard that represents the church. It represents his kingdom. And then we have the laborers, and those of course are going to be the people who are going to accept the landowners. Um, conditions to you know work in this vineyard uh, in the church and so again we see uh, these people they go to the market every day looking uh, for work and you know it's just kind of interesting as uh, as Jesus breaks down this parable that you know if we think of how the Jewish uh, day worked the Jewish time system uh, you know they really went uh, from a 12-hour day right so 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, because once it got dark out, that was kind of the next day for them. You know, we think of, um, you know, midnight uh, to midnight being a day, uh, but they were uh, from basically, you know, 6 p.m. all the way to, you know, 6 p.m. the next day was a day. And so their day began at 6 a.m., right? So that's this, that's this first hour shift. This is individuals that are going to work for 12 hours, right? Six days a week, uh, 12 hours a day. And uh, 
beginning at 6 a.m. And again, it's going, the day is going to conclude at 6 p.m. So you got those 12 hours. And we notice that he goes out in these different increments. He goes out at 6 a.m. And he looks for laborers, right? And he negotiates with them. Uh, you work for me, work a full day, I'll give you a denarius. Then he goes out at the, the third hour, we're told, which is uh, 9 a.m. So uh, these are individuals that are going to work a nine-hour shift. So still, you know, that's, um, you know, uh, more than the normal, I guess, of, of an eight-hour day. So they're going to put in nine hours. And again, we notice that he's constantly going out looking for them in the marketplace. You know, that, asks, or that you know, brings up a good question. You know, is there, is there always work to be, be, excuse me, to be done in the kingdom? Yeah, there, there is always work to be done. Um, you know, and we're not just talking about, um, you know, church programs or, you know, evangelizing, seeking the lost or anything like that. But there is always uh, work to be uh, done, uh, right? If you're raising a child, you know, that, that's God's work, isn't it? To, to raise a child, uh, <clears throat> to honor your father and mother, Right? To take care of your father and mother. You know, that's God's work. And so uh, there is always work to be done. And, um, and it's interesting because not only is he going out, continuing to go out to search for workers, but what else? There's workers to be found at every hour, wasn't there? And so that's encouraging for us uh, to know that, um, you know that there are people out there searching and looking. And so uh, he goes out at 9 a.m., then we're told he goes out to the sixth hour, which is about noon. noon. So now he's going to hire some to work a six-hour shift. He goes out at the ninth hour, which would be about 3 p.m. Uh, our time. And so those individuals are going to work three hours. And then we're finally told that he goes out in the 11th hour, right? So 5 p.m. And these individuals are going to only work an hour uh, for this day. And... Uh, Aren't you glad that we have a God of the 11th hour? And we'll t hopefully we can uh, discuss that here a little bit more. But uh, he goes out all these different times during the day looking for those to work in his vineyard. He offered that first, that, that, those, those first set of workers that are going to work that 12-hour day, he offered, offered them a denarius. And do we recall what that denarius represents? It was, a, it was just basically a day's wage, right? You, you worked a day and you received a denarius, uh, a day's wage of labor. And, um, the, you know, uh, the system of, you know, how they paid individuals back then is, uh, is you know, quite different from what we're uh, familiar with, right? Uh, when we uh, uh, get our paychecks from payroll, you know, it's usually for, a, you know, a couple of weeks prior you know, that, that we're getting paid for. It's not actually the day that we work that we're getting paid for. Uh, but the, the Old Testament, the old law, commanded that, you know, if you hired someone, you were to pay them that very day for their labor, right? Because, uh, again, it's a different culture. It's a different time. It's sort of like when Jesus said, uh, give us this day our daily bread, right? Uh, they depended on going to the market every day uh, to feed themselves and their family. And so they needed to get that denarius every day to uh, do those things. And so, you know, they, uh, they receive or they, they negotiate to receive that denarius. And at the end of the day, 
at 6 p.m., he has his foreman call everyone together. And uh, what do you think the the individuals who were working a one-hour shift or a three-hour shift or even a six-hour shift, what do you think they're thinking right now? (laughs) Sorry? Yeah, so, uh, you know, if the, the five-hour worker understood that, you know, the, the 12-hour workers were getting a denarius, maybe they're thinking, okay, well, uh, if he worked 12 hours and I only worked one hour, then maybe I'm only getting a twelfth of that, right? Or uh, if I worked half a day, maybe I'm only getting a half a denarius. Um, now, if I'm a 12-hour worker and, and I'm watching... Uh, the, the foreman give everybody a denarius, you know, I'm probably thinking a couple of things. You know, what's going on here? Or I'm about to get uh, paid a lot more, right? Because that guy who just worked one hour received a denarius, and I worked 12 hours, so I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot more, aren't I? You know, that's probably what they're thinking here. But as we noticed, they all got paid the same. No matter if you worked an hour in the vineyard or if you worked 12 hours, everyone got paid the exact same thing. And uh, we're told that those 12-hour workers, they grumbled, right? They were upset because of what had just happened. Would you be upset if you worked for an employer for 30-plus years and someone else who was just hired maybe a month ago and you're doing the same job, and you're making the same amount of pay, uh, would you be a little upset about that? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, or, or maybe uh, you put in 40 hours, and the other person put in an hour, but yet you had the same paycheck? <laughs> yeah, I think we would be, wouldn't we? Uh, as these people said in this parable, you know, we, sweat, we sweated and toiled in the midday sun, uh, while these, other, these others started at 5 p.m., you know, when the, 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 the sun's going down and it's getting cooler out in the day, and they only had to toil for an hour, and we had to do this all day long, and they were upset. And again, this is pretty brash of them to do this because they're going to have to go right back to the marketplace the next day and possibly look for more work, and possibly, you know, this guy's the only a job in town, um, you know, but they're, but they're upset, right? They're upset at this, this, uh, this landowner. But here's, here's the deal. Here's the, the main um, thing that Jesus is trying to get through to the, the apostles. Was the landowner wrong to do this? They agreed to it, and it's the landowner's... Uh, to do as you please. please. Yeah, so uh, again, he made it clear that he did nothing wrong. He had the choice uh, of what he would pay everyone, and they agreed to it. And then he said, uh, as he closed out that, or is your eye envious because I am generous? And then he says, so the first shall be, or the last shall be first, and the first last. And that's sort of significant that he says that because he just said that at the end of chapter 19. And now he says it again at the the end of this parable. So it sort of bookends uh, his thoughts of, 
You know, Peter's saying, well, what, what do I get? What do I get for following you, forsaking all and, for, and, and uh, following you? And uh, the point is simple, right? I think this, the, the, this parable is so powerful and it's so direct. But I think, you know, what we conclude here is that the end of our time here on earth, those who obey God will receive the same reward, you know, no matter how long uh, our service to him was. Um, it's the same reward for everyone, right? Heaven. That, that's, that's what we want. That's, uh, you know, why, why we're following um, Christ. And uh, <clears throat> these rewards are not earned, right? But they're, they're bestowed uh, by God uh, because of his grace and his mercy. And so um, let's, let's think of, uh, in our last few minutes here, let's think of some, you know, really... Um, good lessons that we can learn. Um, was Christ saying that uh, we should wait until we're old, older to become Christians? No, that's, that's not at all what uh, he's teaching here, is it? Uh, <clears throat> nowhere, nowhere does Scripture uh, suggest that. Rather, you know, it suggests that you know, we, uh, you know, we, we obey at 6 a.m., uh, not at 5 p.m., but at 6 a.m. Uh, our lives are but a vapor, right? And so uh, that, that is not at all uh, what we're, uh, what's being suggested here. Um, but, it, but it also suggests that it's never too old. We are never too old uh, to uh, obey, right? Uh, it's never too late if, uh, if the door is open, right? Again, be thankful that God is a God of the 11th hour, that, that he will accept those uh, who, um, you know, come to him in the 11th hour of their life, right? That, that's just a powerful, powerful um, lesson. Are, are you familiar with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer? Jeffrey Dahmer? Do you know that, uh, that he was converted to the Church of Christ? Uh, I think it was in Wisconsin, right? Um, he, uh, there's a television show that just came out recently about him, so he's been in the news a little bit lately. But of course, he was a serial killer, uh, but was placed in prison. And through a, you know some correspondence courses, uh, he obeyed the gospel, right? And I think probably I think it was about a year uh, or less from that time he actually ended up dying in prison, right? But he's an example of someone who was an eleventh hour uh, Christian. Right, that uh, that he obeyed, uh, you know, much later in life, uh, right before again his death, uh, that happened in prison, and we need to be thankful for that. Right, that again, God is a God of the eleventh hour. Uh, that, and uh, I know that there are a lot of people who uh, were are are upset by the idea that you know that, that Jeffrey Dahmer obeyed the gospel and is in heaven. Right, because. Um, sort of thinking about those those uh, those twelve hour laborers that we noticed those people who were worked at began work at six a.m. and they were very uh, upset that uh, those who had worked only one hour got the same reward as they did the same wage uh, you know I, I I've noticed that there are people who are upset with the idea that you know he uh, is in heaven or that he uh, um, that he obeyed the gospel that he uh, did the right thing because of all the uh, terrible things he did, you know, on the earth. Um, 
But again, let's be thankful that we have a God of the 11th hour. Uh, You know, ultimately, this is a great story of God's mercy and grace. God's mercy and grace. And uh, what is, what's our attitude? And I'm, I'm skipping quite a bit in my notes, but what is, what is our attitude in the church about those uh, you know, 5 p.m. workers, uh, those who might have only put an hour excuse me, of labor into the vineyard? Okay. But do you, do you think that just like in this parable that there are a lot of people who might be upset by that, that they're receiving uh, the, the, same, um, the same reward, the same outcome as those who, uh, you know, obeyed the gospel much earlier in life? Yeah, we, we probably will have those feelings from time to time. But again, what's Jesus's point here? Never too late. Never too late. Never too late. And um, it's his vineyard, right? Um, it's, it's his vineyard. And uh, <clears throat> if that's how he's going to run things, then we, that's, uh, that should be good enough for us, right? Because uh, we might say that that person who worked only an hour didn't deserve a full day's wage. But again, is that our call? It's not, is it? And so, um, again, this is just a powerful, uh, powerful... <coughs> A lesson here in this parable. Okay. Oh, so so that that's the second bell. So we'll stop there, and uh, Sunday morning we'll continue in lesson number eighty-five, uh, Mark chapter ten, verses thirty-two through forty-five.